call to jury duty. Oh, man, I've been dreading this. It starts now, this, this week, and for the next four months, I have to be available should my group be called to be involved in a jury trial. Now, I've talked to some of you, and some of you have had that same experience. I had such an experience a long time, years ago, 40 years ago, probably. Uh, I was on a, a jury um, but this will be a relatively new experience for me. But, you know, actually, we know about juries, don't we? Know, we know the concept of a jury trial. Uh, through media coverage of various sorts, we have sort of gained a knowledge of how that sort of thing works. There's even, I think, a, a, a whole TV network, uh, Court TV, that is nothing but that sort of business. And so we understand about juries. Uh, the idea, of course, of a trial is that a person is either charged with a crime or some civil matter arises where maybe someone sues someone else. And so a, a trial is conducted in the presence of the jury. Evidence is presented. And the jury is to take that all in and then after all has been said and done, the jury confers among themselves and then they make a conclusion. They draw a conclusion. They issue a verdict, right? We understand that. I don't know how many of you all maybe have been on jury trials in the past, but even if you haven't been, you under, understand how that's supposed to work. Well, we want to draw upon that understanding based upon the text that was read for us earlier. Uh, Tyler read from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The Hebrew writer says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Notice the text starts out by saying, wherefore. Always when we read that word, we know it's a linking word, right? And so it's linking this to what has just gone before. What has just gone before is Hebrews chapter 11, right? We know Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is that long chapter that talks about various characters of faith in the Old Testament and what they did. And then the writer says, wherefore? based upon all these that we've been just describing. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which just so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I want to draw your attention to that great cloud of witnesses. And remember the idea is that if you were on a jury, you would hear the testimony of the... You would hear the, the, the witness testimony... And then you would be called upon to draw a conclusion. So what we want to do in our lesson this morning is listen to these witnesses. We want to ask some questions and see how they would reply to some important religious questions. What would the witnesses say? And that will be our study for a few minutes this morning. We stop here just briefly to thank you all for being here. It's a great privilege and blessing to be together on the Lord's Day. We're glad that you're here to be a part of it. You are an important part of this coming together, this assembly on the Lord's Day. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your participation and the encouragement that you give us by being here. And of course, in all things, we pray that God will be honored and glorified by our worship this morning. We have visitors with us today and we're grateful that you have come and we want you to come back every time you have a chance to be here.
All right, so the premise of our brief lesson this morning is, what would these witnesses, the Hebrew writer says it's a great cloud of witnesses, all these Old Testament characters represent a great cloud of witnesses. What kind of testimony would they offer to us if we were to ask them some significant religious questions? For instance, we hear people say today, it doesn't matter how we worship. You can, you can stick the label worship on anything that you want, and it'll be fine. And God will be pleased. You can do just whatever you want religiously. It doesn't matter, really. Just as long as you sincerely do it, God will be pleased. He will be honored. It doesn't matter how you worship. Sort of, it, it sort of reminds you of that old Burger King commercial, doesn't it? For years, Burger King had the, the ad campaign that says, have it your way. In other words, they would fix your burger however you wanted it to be fixed. And some people have that notion about religion. Have it your way. What do you like? Do it that way. And God will be pleased. I want to suggest that we should ask Abel about that. Go back to that cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Abel would tell us something about worshiping God. Actually, in Genesis chapter 4, we read the first episode of worship in, recorded in the Bible. Uh, and, and it tells us about Cain and Abel, the two first sons of Adam and Eve. And they were instructed to give a sacrifice. Abel offered of his flocks an animal sacrifice. Cain, on the other hand, offered what he had grown in the ground, his crops. And God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice and not with Cain's. And of course, Cain was angry and slew his brother. You know that story well. But the story of Cain and Abel, Abel in particular would say, it, it is not true that you can worship any way you want. It does matter how you worship God. Notice there in Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says that Abel's sacrifice was by faith. And we know faith cometh by hearing, Romans 10, verse 17. So it is very clear that God had given instructions to those two men how they were to worship him. Abel complied, Cain did not. And so from the very first recorded instance of worship in the Bible, and that's what that is in Genesis 4, it's the first recorded instance of worship. And from that very first instance of worship, we find out that it does matter how you worship God. You are not privileged to just do it any way that you want. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus said, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus said, In vain they worship me, because they follow the commandments of men. In vain, good for nothing, worthless worship done after the doctrines and commandments of men. In John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Your worship must be in truth, do it the right way, do it in spirit, have the right sincerity of heart, but you've got to have both things. Sincerity alone is not enough. Truth alone is not enough. Worship to God must be with both spirit and truth. Abel tells us, you can't just worship God 
any way that you want. He's one of that great cloud of witnesses, right? We get an important answer from him. What about the idea that serving God just isn't worth the hassle? You know, there's, there's a lot expected. If you're going to be a servant of God these days, or any days for that matter, you can read all through the Bible about servants of God. It seems like they had to put forth a lot of effort. There's a lot of effort expected on your part if you're going to be a servant of God today. I mean, very, the, the very simple business of being here on Sunday morning. The vast majority of people right here in our community slept in this morning. They didn't get up. They didn't get dressed. They didn't come to worship. They have a day off, you know. And the weather's not too great today, so maybe just stay home and watch TV. But coming up, we're going to have some pretty spring weather coming up here pretty soon. And it'd be a great time to go to the lake, go fishing, go camping, go golfing. Uh, just go on a picnic, for crying out loud. It's going to be beautiful spring weather. And Sunday is like a day off. And you're telling me i got to get up early and get dressed and go to church? That's... I just don't know if it's worth it. It just seems like a big hassle. But then, of course, there's a lot of other requirements, too. Uh, and we're all the time being told about the importance of living a pure moral life. We're being told about the necessity of sacrificing ourselves for the greater good. There's just a lot of hassle in serving God. And I'm just not really sure that it's altogether worth that, someone says. Well, why don't you ask Enoch about that? In Hebrews chapter 11, go back to that cloud of witnesses. What do the witnesses testify? Hebrews 11 verse 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And so Enoch was a fellow who put forth that effort. It wasn't easy for Enoch to be a faithful servant of God any more than it was ever for anyone else. He had to put forth the effort there in, in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 5, verse 21. It says, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God. Enoch put forth the effort. And then he was rewarded for doing so. He was taken to be with God. He served God for 300 years. You're not going to do that. 300 years, he faithfully did the will of God. 300 plus years, no doubt. He faithfully did the will of God. He was rewarded for that. It was worth it. If you were to ask Enoch, Enoch, is it worth the hassle to serve God? Enoch would say, absolutely yes. Your time in service will not be nearly as long as his, but your time in service will be worth it if you put forth the effort. Enoch says, do it. Well, somebody says, you know, really... Sort of in conjunction with what we were just saying, there seems like there's a lot of work involved in serving God. Um, You know, they're all the time, over there at church, they're all the time suggesting extra stuff, maybe, that I ought to be doing. You know, it's not enough just to show up on Sunday morning. As we were saying earlier, that, that seems like trouble enough. But now they want me to do more stuff, you know. And every once in a while, you know, they have one of those work days at the church where they're washing the windows and 
cleaning the place thoroughly. And I don't like to have to do that. And, and then there, it, it seems like just continually they're coming around and, and asking for volunteers to teach Bible class. And I don't know if you know, but I'm telling you, that Bible class business, that's a lot of work. And I've kind of watched some of these teachers, you know, some of these Bible class teachers, and I'm telling you, that's not easy. And they put forth a lot of time and effort into those Bible classes. I don't tell you, that's just too much. I'm not, I'm not in for that. Somebody has to prepare the communion. You know, I, I come and it's always there. How did it get there? Well, somebody took the time to do that. Neighbors are invited. Private classes are taught. Lost people are being reached out to. All kinds of work being... But I'll tell you, this just seems like there's so much work. And, and I'm just not sure uh, that I want to engage in that. It's just too much work for me. Well, what does the cloud of witnesses say about that? Go to Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith... Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. We've talked a lot about Noah's ark, and some of you have had the privilege of actually seeing that full-scale replica up in Kentucky. But I'm telling you, that you talk about work. You think you got too much work to do? Ask Noah about that. Because Noah built the ark. We've talked before about its dimensions. Approximately the, the vessel, the, the ark. 450 feet long. Try to grasp that. That's, that's a, a football field and a half long. It was 75 feet wide. It was 30 feet tall. It was the biggest vessel ever constructed in the history of mankind until just within the last hundred years or so when they started making those super tankers that go across the oceans filled with oil. Noah had to make all of that ark without any modern tools or equipment. You talk about a lot of work. We think the Bible text suggests that he may have had to work 120 years in order to get that all done. You want to tell me you think it's too much? You've got too much work required? Ask Noah about that. Noah would tell you, it must be done. Second Peter 2, verse 5 calls Noah also a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't just building the ark. He was also preaching God's righteousness. Noah was a worker. His testimony is, do it. Get busy. Do the work you're assigned. You're not assigned it. You'll never be assigned a job even close to what Noah was assigned. But Noah did it. And we must too. Someone else says... Actually, I would do what God says, but I find that his commands specific to me are just too hard. Too hard. Let me give you an idea of someone who might say that. So, we're we're studying along and we come to the New Testament's Jesus teaching on divorce and remarriage. And it's a pretty hard, strict rule, right? Right? In Matthew 19 and verse 9, it tells us that only those who divorce their spouse because their spouse has been immorally, sexually unfaithful to them, only those are allowed to remarry without sin. It's a very narrow exception. It's it's well-defined and carefully stated. But this person that we're talking to, come to find out, they're married to their third or fourth wife. 
And maybe they have two or three children by these various wives. And what are they to do? You tell me I have to stop living with the wife that I'm now living with? That I can't continue in this marriage? That's too hard. That's just really too hard. I, I find that God's commands specifically to me seem to be too hard. I can't do it. I want to tell you, that's a hard command. I, I, want to, I want to empathetically state that I understand that that is a hard, hard situation. No doubt about that. But I want to tell you, I think that there's some, some hard, there's lots of other hard commands of God. For instance, in, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Beginning at verse 43, Jesus said, Thou shalt lo- You have heard that it has been said, You shall love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I'll tell you, that's a, hard, that's a hard command too, right? It's in a whole different area than that divorce and remarriage scenario we were describing earlier. But I'll tell you that, it's hard to love your enemies. It's hard to bless them that curse you. It's hard to do good to them that hate you. It's hard to pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. But you have to. It's God's law. It's His will for us. There's lots of hard commands. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is saying you've got to put kingdom things even before your own family. That's hard. I want to tell you that's really hard. So what about this idea? God's commands just seem too hard. I would suggest that we ought to ask Abraham about that. He's in that great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, notice what it says about Abraham beginning at verse 10. Hebrews 11 verse 10, it says... Uh, begin at verse 8, excuse me, Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as, a, as in a strange land, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was told, leave your place, leave everything behind, go someplace and, I, and, and you don't know where it is, but I'll take you there and it'll later become your inheritance. Wouldn't it be pretty hard to do that? Just uproot yourself and your family and everything you have from the place that you know and go to someplace you don't know anything about. That'd be a pretty hard command, wouldn't it? I mean, we've never been called upon to do something like that. Keep reading there in Hebrews 11 about Abraham. Skip down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he had received him in a figure. And you talk about a hard command. Abraham was commanded to offer up his son Isaac, his only son by his wife Sarah. You talk about hard to do, but Abraham did that. And so if you want to complain that God's commands for you are hard, we accept that because some of God's commands are quite hard for us all. But it's worth it. And the cloud of witnesses that include Abraham would tell you, do it. Obey God's commands. They can be done. They may be difficult, but they can be done and we must do them.
someone else says, well, actually, persecutions are too great for... I mean, if I'm going to be a Christian, I, the, the one thing that would hold me back is that I understand that there will be persecutions come my way for being a Christian. And that is the truth. We're not denying that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, All that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There will be persecutions. Our persecutions won't be like maybe the first Christians who were actually thrown in jail and beaten and put to death. They certainly suffered persecutions, but our persecutions will be real. I think our persecutions will more come in the form of ridicule. Someone will belittle us or make fun of us. Uh, I know young people, as you try to live the right kind of life, I'm almost certain that you will face that kind of ridicule from others of your age at school and in other places. For all of us, as we try to live right, our neighbors People in the community will think that we're strange, fanatical, odd. Uh, they'll, they'll say so. I tell you what's especially hard is even when members of our own family might turn against us because we're trying to live a faithful Christian life. Persecutions are too great. But I'm going to tell you, they're not, persecutions are great, but they're not too great. The, the, the idea here is people say persecutions are just too great. I can't do it. No, you can do it. Let's ask Joseph about that. Joseph is in that cloud of witnesses. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Joseph is one of those great witnesses that testify that even if you're persecuted, it's worth it. And we remember the unfair treatment that Joseph received from his own family how that his brothers sold him into slavery. And yet he continued to faithfully serve God even when as a, a slave he was unjustly imprisoned and a whole lots of bad things happened to him. But he never gave up and he kept on serving God faithfully. He never faltered in faith. Joseph would say, you can endure it. Persecutions will come, but you can endure them. Someone else says, I think the church is too old-fashioned. Uh, seemed like seemed like those people over at church. They're just not keeping up with the times. Uh, uh, I, I think they I think they need to soften the message a little bit. I think they need to let 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 a few things slide, perhaps. And of course, we see a lot of that in the religious world around us. Uh, just on our virtual Bible study program on Thursday night, we were talking about how a lot of people in the religious world are calling for us to compromise on something as plain. And clearly taught in the, in the Bible as homosexuality. And the argument is being made. The people of the world are going. The trend is to accept this immoral practice now. And so we're going to have to change too. Because we can't just be so old fashioned. If we're just so old fashioned. We're losing touch. People won't stand for that. We're going to have to compromise. On something as basic as homosexuality. Um, what about that? Should we stand firm or should we compromise? Is the church too old-fashioned? Well, we might ask Moses about that. In Hebrews chapter 11, he's among those witnesses. In Acts chapter 11, beginning verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. 
Ask Moses. And he took a stand with the people of God. He could have had it made in Egypt if he just let his morality slide, if he just compromised and and refused to stand up for what was right for God. He could have he could have really enjoyed all kinds of prosperity in Egypt, but he refused that. God's way is not too old-fashioned. It is the right way. Moses would tell us, you can't compromise. You've got to stand for what's right. Finally, let me suggest to you that there are plenty of people who would say faith only is enough. No works of obedience are required. There's nothing that you have to do. Just believe. That's a very common view. Uh, and how, how would this cloud of witnesses answer? Well, really, every one of the witnesses that we've already mentioned and all of the people mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11, every one of them denotes the fact that faith must be coupled with obedience. Faith without obedience is not enough. We must believe and obey. But let me let me suggest just one instance here as we wrap this up. Ask the Israelites at Jericho. Remember when they came into the promised land, the first city that they approached was the fortified city of Jericho. And in Hebrews 11, verse 30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. You know the story about the battle of Jericho. But notice, they received the blessing from God after they compassed the city for seven days. They had faith, but their faith had to be put into action. They had to actually march around the city. So, what we have here then is this great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 11, all those characters of faith from the Old Testament, they're testifying to us. And it's interesting that their testimony addresses a lot of commonly held views that people have in the world today. Now, what do you do if you are on a jury? You listen to the testimony of the witnesses, and then you... Make a verdict, right? You, you draw a conclusion. You, you decide based upon what the witnesses have said. The witnesses here speak pretty, pretty plainly to us. And they tell us it does matter how you worship. Although it's difficult and, and there will be challenges, it is worth it to serve God. It's not too much work. And although the commands are hard, they can be kept. Persecutions may come, but they can be endured It's an old-fashioned way of living, but it's the right way because God says so. Your faith must be strong enough to cause you to obey all of His commands. The great crowd of witnesses, they speak to us today. What's your situation? Are you right with God today? Have you been living for Him? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you become a Christian? If you've never done that, we hope you'll make that decision to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we'd be anxious to assist in your obedience. We'd also be glad to study more with you to help you understand those requirements better. How can we help? If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithfully serving, we beg you to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.